Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning to you all. So good to be here with you. Going to try and do that impossible task of cutting across the chatter, which is lovely to hear. Um, my name is Mike. If we haven't met before, uh, lovely to be with you today. I'm part of the team here. Um, at Gas Street. I spend a lot of my time at Gas Street South, so if you're newer, then we might not have met, but I'd love to chat to you afterwards. So pleased that you're here today. Um, and as Nick and Becky said, we're continuing our new series today called Better Together. And last week, Tim kicked us off, and I'm just going to take us a little bit deeper today. We're, we're going after unity as a church, standing against things like racism and things that separate us, and championing the biblical vision of unity. And before I just dive in, I'd love to just ask you all a question. I don't know if you've ever come across someone who's turned around to you and said, it's my way or the highway. And if you're from the north, like me, it's usually followed by a sarcastic pal, my way or the highway, pal. Um, And we've all come across people like that, haven't we? My dad is one of those through and through. He's set in his ways. He knows what he likes. He knows what he doesn't like. Um, I actually, I call him Teflon. You know, like nothing sticks. He just is, he is who he is. Um, He's set in his ways. There's a way of doing things around here. If you don't like it, you can lump it. And um, essentially, it's a way of saying, I've got my own worldviews and I'm not really open to any other way of thinking. Um, But my dad isn't alone in his way of thinking my way or the highway. We all know people like that. And we can all fall into it at times too, can't we? We can all often think, ah, actually, I think I like things my way. I'm not sure I want to embrace change. I don't want to embrace other cultures or other styles. I've got my questions about that. Because the reality is, we like it when we have a smooth ride, don't we? We like the easy way of life. And we know, don't we, that we just often gravitate around people that think the same as us or we gravitate around people that look the same as us. It is just an unfortunate reality of life. There's loads of research to support that fact, that generally speaking, unless we try really hard not to, we gravitate around people that are similar to us. Um, But don't take my word for it. There's a biblical framework that I want to give you for all of this stuff. Um, And it's going to come up on the screen, but if you have got your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to be in Genesis 11. And right at the beginning of... Uh, humanity. Right at the beginning of the world, God gives humanity a mission and a mandate. And God says, would you fill the earth? Would you subdue it? And would you multiply in numbers? And so he sends humanity off and off we go. Uh, But we come across a problem very early on in Genesis 11. Let's see what happens. It says this, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As, people, as the people moved eastward, they found a place, a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and break, bake, them from, bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar from mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered across the whole earth. And now there was a time when we all had one language, when we all had one speech and we were one community. There was uniformity. We were all very similar in our likeness. We had one speech and one mind. There was harmony and everyone was getting along fine together. You see why it's inverted commas in a moment. Because their uniformity and their commonality caused a problem. Humanity 
turned round and said, it's my way or the highway. They turned round to God and said, we don't like the idea of scattering across the world. We don't like the idea of embracing different styles, different cultures, different preferences. We like it here. We like our little mini sub-community of everyone who looks the same, everyone who thinks the same, everyone speaks the same. It's quite easy. It's quite comfortable. We like it. We might stay. Uh, and what it does is it pulls them away from the missional mandate to subdue and to scatter across the earth. And it was an abuse of the power that God had given them. They were trying to overthrow God together. It was idolatrous. Because the city and the tower were self-serving attempts of unity that resisted God's missional mandate. So let's read on and see what happens. Let's see what God does to this uniformed group of people who weren't looking outwards. It carries on and says this. But the Lord came down to, the, to see the city and the tower and the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And so God comes in worship and, in, sorry, God comes in judgment and stops this pagan worship. He intervenes so that his plans may be outworked. God mercifully removes their sin by confusing their language. And there's grace found in this moment at Babel. Because how much worse would the world be if we were all just uniformed together trying to overthrow God? If we were just uniformed together in our sinful purposes, trying to overthrow God and gain all the power and all the um, attention for ourselves. If we all just got along fine together with the same mindset, then all we'd end up doing is trying to overthrow God while we're doing it. And so through divine judgment and divine mercy, God creates new and different languages. And God comes and scatters them across the world for the sake of mission, for the original biblical mandate so that we would subdue the earth, fill it, and multiply it. He made us a diverse group. And it worked to a degree. Humanity is now scattered across the world. We've filled it, we've subdued it, we're diverse, we're different, there's different communities, different styles, different preferences. But we hit another problem. And the problem is sin. Isn't sin always the problem? Um, yes, we are scattered, but we're not united. Yes, we are diverse and different, but we're too often separated. We're not united. We might not be uniformed anymore, but that isn't unity. Too often, we live in separate culture communities, different subgroups, and we like to keep it that way, gravitating towards like-minded people who look the same as us, think the same as us, have the same beliefs as us, because it's easy. We are too often diverse but separated. We're left in a world where it's still too easy to say it's my way or the highway. And what we often have now is this balance of uniformity versus variety. And it makes it a bit confusing to kind of understand and cut through the state of play. So I'm just going to explain it for you. So uniformity, where everybody looks the same, thinks the same, sounds the same, have the same views, falls short of God's plan for creation. It creates insular looking communities and too often results in an abuse of power, my way or the highway. And make no mistake, 
Racism, sexism, ageism, all those kind of things are attempts to gain uniformity, and they are an abuse of power. And we still see that today. Variety, however, is where it gets a bit confusing. So variety is subgroups of communities. So it looks like there's difference. It looks like there's variety, but that also falls short of God, God's plan because there's not unity. Variety and subgroups of different communities and cultures causes division. It often causes disagreement, and it doesn't make missional sense. It leaves the body of Christ disjointed, and it actively works against one of the core kingdom principles, which is reconciliation. And we live in a society where both extremes of this still exists, which makes it a bit confusing. There are still too many communities, businesses, organizations where you would walk in and all you would see is uniformity. Just clone after clone after clone. If everybody who looks the same, sounds the same, thinks the same, I'm not going to name and shame, but I'm sure you'll be able to think of organizations or restaurants or shops where you might find that. And we live in Birmingham, which on the face of it is, well, and statistically, is one of the most diverse cities in the country. Really diverse. And massively broad ethnicities, viewpoints, social classes, styles and preferences. But when you dig a little deeper, I actually think all we see in Birmingham is variety. I think we see variety, not diversity, because if you dig a bit deeper, all you see is mini subgroups of different cultures, styles and preferences just coexisting, not working together. Even in this church, this church is a massively diverse church by church standards. Tim looked at some of the stats of that last week if you want to dig into it, and there's a long way to go, there is. But there is variety in our church. Look around this room now. There is different ages, there are different ethnicities, there is different backgrounds, people from different walks of life. But if we dig a bit deeper, if we look at where the friendship groups have been formed, if we lift the lid on some of our gastric groups and see who's gathering together, then often it's just lots of different variety coexisting together. There's not so much crossover. There's not so much, uni um, not so much unity across the different sub-communities. And, you know, I think the phrase, you do you, sums up all of this quite nicely. It's a phrase that's been coined over the last few years, which basically allows us to say to each other, you have a different view to me, I have a different view to you, we're not going to disagree about it, we're just going to coexist, but you can just go off and do your own thing, and I don't really mind. We're not going to try and work it out together, we're just going to part ways. And too often, I think we think that we're living in unity, but we're just coexisting with variety. And it's, we're ignoring our differences. And it's not unity. It's low-grade separation and segregation. And at the worst end of the extreme, we still live in a society with too much uniformity and abuse of power to try and keep it that way. Unity looks like embracing our differences. It looks like going after our differences to bring us together, to enhance life together, to enrich our worship, to enrich our lives, to enrich our own culture and our own missional sense. It looks like complementing one another. Let's have a look at this quick video. So how would you guys say that either unequal distribution of power or lack of embracing your cultures has had an impact on you or impacted you? Um, I think for me, it would probably be uh, when it comes to decision making. So environments where maybe like in my past church experiences where there's multicultural, diverse people in, in, 
in kind of like the congregation and then as you go up and in different leadership um, parts, there's not as much representation. And I think that one, it's just been really frustrating for me and other people um, that I know, but also it kind of acts like a lid for what God's doing in your life. Like you might feel like you are called to do this or you could contribute in a way, but it kind of feels like a lid on top. And so I think, um, there's some people that have the energy to then break that lid and really go after it. And for others, it can just kind of like mess up your self-esteem and just make you retreat from all that you were called to be. Um, so I think that's how I've seen it, where it's like everyone's equal on to a certain level. And I'm sure in the workplace you'd agree, but then Definitely. as you go in different um, higher up and different leadership levels, it's like you're not seen, you're not represented. And that is like really frustrating because you can never progress I guess I remember one of the first times I felt um pow powerless was actually with some really really close friends who are still very close friends and it was a dinner party and we were discussing cultural appropriation and these are people that I agree with on a lot of stuff we would definitely say we seem to have the same politics and people probably lump us together in, in certain groups whether complementary or not the title um, and we're talking about cultural appropriation and I said that I didn't like the idea of someone saying they are particularly attracted to half Asian women because I was like, Asia's a big place, like two countries in Asia have over a billion people in it, like we're really not all the same, like you know, really that doesn't, that doesn't track. And suddenly I had five people who had never probably really seriously considered race, this is pre-George Floyd, so um, a lot of white people didn't consider race because they had, didn't have a reason to and didn't feel compelled to, um, all sort of disagreed with me almost quite vehemently, like what I'd said um, made them look bad and therefore there was this reaction. And it was the first time that I, and I'm a loud person, I will say anything to anyone. It's the first time that I actually stepped back and went, I, I'm outnumbered here. I, I, I am not going to be listened to in this forum. Um, and that like was really hurtful um, and I'd never thought of my friends having more power than me ever um, again really lucky and that part of that is genetics and the way that I look and the privilege that I've had from that um, but that yeah that really impacted me and it suddenly made the way that I express myself I, I now think do I need to phrase that the way um, and that's because they had the power to ignore what I was saying, whereas I didn't have the power to ignore that, because that, that's my life. And so, so if the problem is a mentality that says my way or the highway, there's a way of doing things here, and if you don't like it, you can move on, my way or the highway, then the solution is one that says not my way, but the higher way. Not my way, but the kingdom way, the higher and holy way, not my way, but the higher way. And the higher way of life, the higher way, the kingdom way to unity is through humility. I'm just going to read from Philippians 2. It will come up on the screen for you. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made human in likeness, and being found appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived and breathed, not my way, but the higher way. Jesus had equality with God, but he did not use that equality to get his own way. It would have been easy for him to do that. Everyone was following him. Everyone was interested in what he had to say. But instead, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. After years of living a life of humbled service, he humbled himself in the most extravagant display of love this world has ever seen on the cross. And even moments before that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he turns and he says, if it is your will. In other words, he turns to God and says, not my way, but the higher way. He understands that it's going to be difficult. He understands that it's going to take pain, that it's going to take humility. But he also understands that there is a higher way to life. There is a higher way through humility that will release the kingdom blessing. And the way of Jesus is humility. The way of the gospel is humility. Not my way, but the higher way. And the higher way to, humility, to unity is through humility. The higher way to unity is through humility. If we're going to stop living insular lives in our sub-communities, in our mini towers of Babel, where we all look, think, and feel the same, the way to do it is with humility. If we're going to bring together the scattered cultures and preferences from across Birmingham, the way is humility. It is easy to get uniformity. You can just surround yourself with people that look like you. And it's actually pretty easy to get variety. Just step out of the doors and walk around Birmingham and you'll see it everywhere. The challenge, the task, is combining variety in a unified way. Combining diversity with unity in a way that really honors and celebrates our differences. And that's why this series is called Better Together. Because we're not better in our mini subcultures just coexisting. We're better when we're actively working together, unifying one another, growing together, learning together, enhancing one another's lives together. And the way that we combine diversity in a unified way is through humility. So what does it look like? Well, it looks like acknowledging that our way is not the only way. It looks like recognizing that there are different styles, preferences, ideas, thoughts, and they're just as valid as your own. The world has formed you and I in a particular way, and that is right and good. But there are eight billion other versions of you and I with a different worldview, a different experience, and a different way of doing things. You know, earlier I talked about my dad uh, and his, like, Teflon mentality to life. Um, and because of his kind of way of doing things, um, and we, we kind of haven't had the best relationship growing up. Um, and he's actually um, Iranian. He grew up in Iran. And for many, many years, I used to think that the reason he was so cold and Teflon was because it was an Iranian 
thing. And actually, what it used to make me do was push away my Iranian heritage. I always used to tick white British on the forms. Um, I wasn't really interested in the culture or celebrating my mixed heritage. Um, and I didn't really want to talk about it very much. But over time, I've begun to ask myself some tough questions. And I've begun to dig a little deeper. And as I've found myself um, having conversations with other Iranians who are not from uh, my immediate family, and as I've done a bit of research, I found myself being massively challenged. I was so wrong. Because actually, my dad is the way that he is because he is my dad. And in no way does he represent the prevailing culture in Iran, which is one of welcome, hospitality, and family, which I actually think is something that I naturally embody myself. And so over the past few years in particular, as I've begun to dig into this, I've begun to embrace my Iranian heritage more. You know, I've begun to do some research, and our kids actually have Persian middle names, which is like a family tradition, which at one point I didn't want to do, and now we've done it. And we're now looking into like getting Iranian passports for the family so that when things have settled down, we can go out there and learn more about it, because I'm beginning to realize that I had a skewed view of what it meant to be Iranian, and I'm beginning to embrace it. And in a similar way, over the last couple of years, I've served the diversity working group here at Gastry. I think Tim mentioned a bit about it last week, a group of people just trying to help us tackle some of this stuff head on. And you know, spending time with them has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. When we formed the group, they were all people who I knew on a Sunday, but we would just have small talk together. We wouldn't chat together in deep ways. We probably weren't eating meals together or anything like that. And one of the first things that we did as a group was formed a Gastry group together. And we went through some material and we read the Bible together and we prayed together. And I found myself being massively challenged as I began to hear story after story about their lives and about how God and the world has formed them and what that meant for them. And it has blown my world wide open. And as things would outplay in society, I would have a particular view on how that might, what that might mean and what that might look like. But I'd pick up the phone and I'd call Cookie or Travine or Gavin and I'd say, hey, tell me what you think about what's going on in the world right now and how you think that uh, plays out. And they would come back at me with a completely different idea than I had. Of course, massively valid. And it would hugely challenge my thought on it. And I would go as far as saying that aside from when I became a Christian and had a biblical framework to life, that spending time with a group of people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities to my, to my own, has challenged me, grown me, stretched me, and inspired my thinking in a way that nothing else in my life has done. Because when we spend time around people that are different from us, we grow and we develop and we change. Um, let me just give a little example. So we're going to look at um, how we can change our perspective on things and what happens when we do that. So Becky, do you want to jump up and, and help me? And I've got a little prop coming. If you stand here, Becky, at the front so people can see. Yeah. Am I in, just here? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, fine. Fine. Where are you? I actually oh, yeah, I'm here. can't see. No expense spared. Could have got a smaller one, but that's boring, hey? So, um, so this is um, Becky, and this, is Becky's, this um, beach ball represents Becky's worldview. So, Becky, tell me, with your current worldview, what you can currently see. Yellow. Yellow, great. And so when Becky begins to engage in things, engage in things panning out in society, when Becky asks some questions and she turns around to people and says, hey, tell me what, what's going on at the moment for you. How does that 
outplay in your life and tell me about your background and your experience, this is what happens. Becky, tell me what you can see now. So now I see uh, red, yellow and green. Amazing. And so when Becky does one more step than that and she turns around and begins to hang out with people that are different from her, she spends time over a dinner table with people from different backgrounds, different cultures, this is what happens. Becky, tell me what you can see now. Well, yellow, green, blue, red, pink and orange. Amazing. So her worldview is widened. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to throw that like I did at the 9.30 because it went very wrong. <laughs> but notice the world didn't change, but Becky's perception of it grew. She understood more than she did before because she asked questions and she hung out with people that were different from her. And so what does it look like for all of us? What does it look like for us to take the higher way to humility? And it's important to say that, yes, we're majoring on race for lots of right and valid reasons, but we want to go after unity across a whole variety of different things in this church because we believe um, unity across everything matters. And so these examples are going to get a bit broader as we go down. But um, stepping out in humility in order to embrace diversity looks like asking ourselves some tough questions, starting with this. And I'm going to read it slowly and twice. Does my gender, race, status, position, financial status, or cultural majority make it easier for me to remain in my comfortableness, in my way, rather than having to embrace the preferences, thoughts, and styles of others? Let me read that again. Does my gender, status, race, position, financial status, or cultural majority make it easier for me to remain in my comfortableness, in my way, rather than having to embrace the styles, cultures, and preferences of others. Let me just give you a couple of church examples, and then we'll bring it home for you guys. So we are predominantly um, a middle-class church. There's obviously exceptions to the rule, but on the whole, we're a middle-class church. And for years, we've been running Alpha, and we believe in it. It's important. And we've been running Alpha in the evening, because for a middle-class church where people are in full-time jobs and have childcare options, running Alpha in the evening makes sense. It serves a middle-class group of people. But we've begun to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to reach a community that we're not currently reaching? How do we reach a demographic that is different to who we're currently reaching? And so for the first time ever at St. Luke's this term, we've run a daytime alpha with free food and, crucially, free childcare in order to try and reach a different community. And we have got 25 people from the local community who are exploring faith for the first time who have never stepped foot in a church before. All because we asked some questions, we thought a little bit differently, we put our money where our mouth is, and we took some sacrifice, and it's massively paying off. Secondly, we're predominantly a church made up of adults. There are more adults in this church than there are children. But we believe that it is biblical and powerful when we're united together from the oldest to the youngest in worship. We think we grow and develop when we do that. And so that's why what Nick and Becky are heading, Worship for Everyone, is so important and significant. But if we're really honest about it, it takes a bit of humility. It takes the adults saying, I'm going to lay down my current style and way of worshipping for the sake of the younger people in the room. 
I'm going to embrace the actions. I'm going to embrace some different songs. I'm going to cope with the chaos and the running round because I believe it's important for the younger generation to engage in worship and to learn from the adults and for us to be all together from the youngest to the oldest. And it works both ways, doesn't it? Because we sometimes say to the kids, actually, you guys need to embrace a bit of humility because we want you to remain quiet while we hear a message or while we do some ministry. So the important thing is that it's a two-way thing, humility, um, but we grow, don't we? We grow together. When we spend time in worship for everyone, it's not just the kids learning and all the adults switch off. When, when the kids come with their really humble um, thoughts on worship and their awe about who God is, we all learn together because that's what happens when we embrace diversity and we need to do it with humility. So what does it look like for you? Maybe humility, maybe the higher way looks like widening the people that you spend time with. Maybe it looks like widening the group of people that you invite around for dinner so that it doesn't look just like people like you. Maybe it looks like embracing our value that no one stands alone, inviting someone who wouldn't normally get an invite to dinner over to your house. Maybe humility looks like each Sunday in that given chat moment, rather than just turning around and talking to the person you came with or the person next to you, maybe it looks like getting up out of your seat, crossing all the way across the other side of the room and finding someone else to talk with, and ideally someone who looks entirely different from you and asking them about their life and their week. Maybe humility, maybe the higher way, looks like befriending that person at work that everybody else overlooks. Just like putting aside like one lunchtime every other week to hang out with someone that no one else does. Or maybe humility looks like using your position at work to give an, an advantage or an opportunity to someone that is usually overlooked. Or maybe humility, the higher way, looks like opening a book on the importance of racial reconciliation. Or maybe it looks like switching your news outlet so you get a different interpretation of what's playing out in the world. Maybe humility looks like serving on a team for the first time and choosing a team that has the greatest need rather than the team that all your mates serve on. Or maybe it looks like when someone comes to you with a thought or an opinion that you don't agree with, maybe it looks like coming back and saying, hey, just help me understand why you think that or where you've come to that conclusion rather than barking back with an argument or saying I don't agree for whatever reason. It looks like using your position, using your authority, using the mandate that God has given you for the advantage of others. Because Jesus had equality with God, but he humbled himself on a cross for the sake of um, humility and for the sake of others. And so we should use the position that we have to humbly serve one another. I love this quote. It says, as his people, when we are mutually glorifying, speaking, and acting in ways that enhance the reputations of one another, striving to bring praise and honor to others, exhibiting a mutual deference, a willingness to serve one another and to submit to one another, especially across lines of difference, we are imaging God's beauty. And why do we do that? For two reasons. Firstly, for the sake of mission, to broaden the gather and to enhance the scatter. It goes back to that biblical mandate that God has given us to subdue the earth and to multiply, to make disciples of all nations, not just the nation that looks most like you. When we, when we effectively embrace diversity with humility, we will be more missionally effective as a church and we will reach more people than we are currently doing. And the second reason is this, 
kingdom reconciliation. The covenantal relationship that you and I have with the rest of humanity that was bought on the cross with the blood of Jesus matters. The relationship that we have with the rest of the world matters. Working towards a unified bride of Christ matters. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we can have, yes, reconciliation with him, but horizontal reconciliation with one another. And so it matters that we play our part to outwork that. Um, let's have a look at this second video. What do you think it looks like for the church to embrace humility in a way that paves the way for diversity and embracing the breadth of cultures that we see represented here in the UK? At the moment, there's such a catch-up on, if I'm a good person, I couldn't possibly be racist. And there's no humility in that, because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And um, we all make assumptions, we all have biases, we all prefer our own culture to others. And so humility in the church, first and foremost, and this is on every issue, sounds like, God, where have I fallen short on this issue? Lord, search me, point out where I've gone wrong. Please, you know, put me on a better path. And that's on every issue. And so I think that's a key part for humility. You can't have the unity without that first step because true. until we're being honest with ourselves and God, there can't, there can't be redemption. We, you know, we don't become Christians. We don't live in Christ until we go, I've messed up, Lord, please help me. Mm. I, I, that's, that's humility. True, very true. I mean, I agree with you 100%. You know, your first step is you have to be humble, isn't it? The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I mean, that's a key thing we learn in the Bible. Mm. And, and, you know, certainly for one thing the church could do is talk to that one person. Find that one person that you normally don't talk to in church. Make that effort. You know, make that effort and say hello to that person. And, and make it genuine because we'll make change there. It just, it all starts with us. I have to find that one person within me. Mm. I have to humble myself in the sight of the Lord because he will lift me up by me being humble. So I have to find that one person that I'm, that I'm going to make that difference in. How am I going to impact that person? Church will change. Mm -hmm. I think being vulnerable um, on both sides, like I think for me, when it comes to race, being open and saying when things hurt and being direct about things that might have rubbed me the wrong way or things that I'm struggling with or things that make me sad in the church. Um, because I think with that, like, that is me being humble as well on my part mm. and not having the pride to think I can do this on my own. I don't need, like we're a community, we need each other. If we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then I should be able to be humble enough to say when things hurt. So I'd say that's another thing I'd encourage people to do. Yeah. Mm. So helpful. Thanks, Great. Um, can I invite you to stand while I make my second point, final point? And then we're, um, we're going to pray together. And the final thing I want to say is this. We can't just strive to make this stuff happen. Firstly, because striving is the exact opposite of humility. And secondly, because anything that is truly the higher way has to be a work of the Spirit. We can't just try really hard to get along together. 
We can't just try really hard to include other styles and other preferences. We can't just say the politically correct thing. We can't just put systems and processes in place without any heart behind it. Because otherwise, we'll just end up building another Tower of Babel. And the really interesting thing about the Tower of Babel is that we see the story mirrored in Pentecost. So at Babel, God comes and intervenes and limits their selfish desires for achievement, their high, my way or the highway mentality by confusing their language. But at Pentecost, God comes with a higher way. He comes and sends the Spirit of God. And the Spirit enables different languages and different tongues, but in a way that unifies them. The Spirit comes and enables all of the different languages, yet they can all understand each other at the same time. The Spirit embraces and enables their difference and their different cultures and backgrounds, but brings them together. It unifies them. And the Spirit is what does the unifying work. What we see at Pentecost is the perfect image of unity. Difference and variety, but together and oneness all at the same time. And it's because it's a work of the Spirit. And that's what it has to be. And so this looks like getting on our knees before the one who unifies us, before the one who reconciles us, and saying, come and search me, O God. Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. In other words, not my way, but the higher way. And so we're just going to create some time to reflect, to ask the Spirit to come. And then maybe the band will lead us and we might pray into some other things. But maybe I could just invite you to maybe close your eyes and open your hands just as a sign of saying, God, I'm ready to do business with you. I'm ready for you to come and search me and to lead me into the higher way. And if you've never done this before, it's really simple. You just need to say the church, a prayer that the church has been praying for thousands of years. You just say, come Holy Spirit. And so we're just going to give a few moments for you individually, just you and God to say, come and search me, come and lead me into the higher way we're just going to give some space to do that and then the band will lead us Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. 
If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.